Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Jared Bailey from Laces Out. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free. You don't got to pay anything to use Anchor. And there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. One. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of Laces Out. Jared Bailey, Kurt Homister with you as always. Kurt, haven't talked to you in about a week or so doing this show. How have you been? I have been doing just fine, my friend. Uh, it is finally, it seems like summer is here. It's been about 95 degrees in Buffalo, New York. So yeah, I'm really used to it, but I am liking it. So luckily we can uh, talk some football today with the craziness going on in our world. Hopefully we can bring some positivity here with an awesome guest, which I will let you do the honors of introducing today. Yes, joining us is arguably the greatest quarterback in the history of the Cincinnati Bengals, Ken Anderson with us today. Sir, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing good, but I, I think Kurt is telling the fib it's never been 95 degrees in Buffalo whenever I've been there. So I promise I'm, I'm you. I'm not yeah, buying that one, Kurt. I promise you a couple of days ago, the thermostat read 95 degrees outside, and I was dying because our pool was not open yet. Are, are you sure you weren't inside and that was the thermostat you turned up in the house? <laughs> I just Maybe. Checked, you know, we're all a little crazy at this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so how has everything been going for you these past few chaotic months? Obviously, you know, we've all been dealing with the, the pandemic and the situation and whatnot. So how have you been uh, doing, especially, you know, just since all this has started? Well, you know, my garage is very clean. My storage room in the garage is very clean. The attic is organized. Um, working on my golf game. Luckily, we, we live in a golf course community. We've got two courses and uh, everybody's got their own carts so we can play and socially distance and and so that's been nice and you know uh, our weather down here has been good so a lot of time working in the yard so we've actually been staying uh I, I won't say busy but we're not bored I think I think that's how everybody is now cleaning out the garage the attic throwing out all the stuff you haven't used in 10 years so staying as healthy as we can until hopefully we can get some football back before we can get any sports back here uh I mean, talking maybe NBA and MLBs coming back here. I think people just need a little something to have hope to look forward to, to what is to come because we would love to be able to have fans at, at football games uh, this fall because me being a season ticket holder for the Buffalo Bills, I mean, the Bills are known for their fans. So they need fans there. We, we the people of Buffalo, need our Bills back. So uh, we are praying here that everything get figured out pretty soon. Yeah, do you want to go to the game or just that they have pretty good tailgates outside the ballpark too? So I, they which both one work. Do you want? They, they go hand in hand together. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I, I I hope so too. And you know, it's uh, you know, it was fun watching Tiger, Phil, and 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 Brady and Peyton last weekend. <laughs> and before that, there was another golf match with no fans, and it was entertaining. And you know, you you watch a couple of NASCAR races, and there's no fans. It is just not the same. And you know, I, I we've got a, a very situation, a very serious situation that we are dealing with, and and hopefully by the fall we'll be able to have football with at least some fans in the stadium because that's that's what makes football, whether it's college or professional. Yeah, we uh, there. Uh, the governor of Texas gave an order earlier today that uh, pro sports can resume with fans at twenty five percent capacity. So 
fans in some uh, way, shape, or form can be in stadiums, at least in Texas for right now. So, I mean, that's definitely a big first step in terms of fans coming back. Um, so we're looking forward to, to that happening hopefully this fall. Kurt, I saw your tweet the other day about wanting to be able to be at a, a Bills playoff game that you'd wear a hazmat suit for it. And, like, the dark side of my brain was like, wouldn't it be hilarious if, like, the Bills finally have a home playoff game and listen, nobody can be there? Listen, I, I, would, I would rather not have a season at all than have a home Bills playoff game because I have never seen that in my lifetime. So I'm just praying that I can be there by January if we do have a home playoff game. You know, it's going to be cold in Buffalo. And speaking of cold, Ken, you partook in maybe the coldest game in the history of football. Um, tell us about the Freezer Bowl because, you know, we can watch all the film on it that we want. We can hear, oh, it was negative 43 with wind chill. But you were there. You lived it. How in God's name did you play football that day? <laughs> well, you know, what was funny is the week before we had a home playoff game against the Buffalo Bills, and uh, it was 55 degrees, which seemed balmy for that time <laughs> of year. And then all of a sudden, you know, that, that cold front came through. And, you know, we, were, you know, we always had a, a pretty good practice on Saturdays. And, and, in fact, I say, you know, we did more on Saturdays back with Forrest Craig than teams do on Fridays now, uh, <laughs> you know, in the NFL. But – you know, it was a cold day, but we went out and we got our, our work in. And, you know, I never slept well the night before games, so I was up early and, you know, went down to have a cup of coffee, read the paper. And, you know, it was a bright, sunny day. And I said, oh, wow, this is going to be great. And I stuck my head out the hotel door and, holy mackerel, <laughs> that wind hit me. And uh, you were a little wrong on the temperature. It was 59 below ah, with the wind wow. chill. And, and, you know, it was uh, – uh, it, it was cold. I, I spent, I uh, went out to kind of warm up. I said, I'll stretch a little more in the locker room before I go out. But, you know, I, I think the, the, the best story about the, the, that game that I always tell is I'm glad there was no ESPN and, and all the cameras in those days because it was in the first quarter and they had brought in heated benches, which we had never seen before. And I'm sitting on the bench and they have these little slots for your feet to go in and I'm sitting on my hands and Luckily, I've got my helmet on because a trainer had thrown a cape over me. And in the middle of the first quarter, there's a loud roar. And I go to stand up to see if there's a turnover. And if I'm going back in the game, my feet didn't come out of the slots. And I went down. And the first thing that hit was my face mask. And I'm seeing stars. And I'm calling for the trainers for smelling salts. I said, I can't get knocked out of the AFC Championship game falling off the bench. Wow. That's, that's pretty funny. But, I mean, it, it's not even – because it's got to be almost impossible to play in that game. You said almost negative 50 degrees. I think it said – I think I saw something that said like 27-mile-an-hour wins. You guys still won 27-7. to seven. Uh, Let's see, you, you threw 161 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, for being that cold, I mean, how do you do it? it how do you stay warm in between even every play? I mean, you got your hand warmers, but – what, well, we didn't have we didn't bones? have hand warmers in those days. Okay, uh, well there you go. I had a long underwear top on, and I I, I kind of put that my hands down the front of my pants between <laughs> plays, and uh, you know, and then you know, you're only out there for five six minutes at a time. You know, then you're back you know around heaters on the bench, and you know, it wasn't so much the cold that was the fact. And I think even Dan Fouts will say this: it it was more the wind that affected us, and. You know, we were a throwing team that year and, and uh, had a great offensive line, had a great group of receivers, and it was just tough to throw the ball that day. And I think we only threw it about 22 times, which is about half of what we would normally do. But I think the big thing is we didn't turn the ball over and the Chargers did. 
Yeah, you you did. You guys really did start throwing the ball a lot. It was around like seventy five when, whenever the West Coast was installed. Um, so you were kind of uh, the first team to really run that style of offense before Walsh headed over to San Francisco. So what was uh, that innovation like to be installed into uh, your offense in that time of the game um, back in that day and age? Well, you know, actually, you know, I was drafted in 71 and Bill Walsh was, was in Cincinnati. He was there from 71 to 75. And that was kind of the developmental era of the West Coast offense and a little bit unique. And, you know, if, if you look in that era, um, you probably led the league in passing if you threw for 2,200 yards. Uh, you probably led the league in touchdowns if you threw for 18. Um, you know, if you had 18 touchdowns and 18 interceptions, that was probably average. Uh, if you threw for 50% completions, that was about the norm in the NFL. But, you know, with, with Bill, it was kind of one of the, the first guys that we not only used the field vertically, you know, teams were throwing the ball down the field. You know, you, you had uh, Daryl LaMonica, the mad bomber out in Oakland, and, and, and some of these guys. And, you know, and, and we used the field vertically, but we also used it horizontally and make the defense cover everything. And, you know, we really stressed that the, the drop of the quarterback timed up with the, the depth of the routes of the receivers so we could throw the ball on time. We had a strict progression we followed that it was, I had my first read, my second read, my third read. If that wasn't there, I had an outlet to go to. So, you know, we started completing, you know, 62, 63% of our passes, um, you know, in an era where 50% was probably pretty good. It's pretty wild how, how far the game has come. I mean, you said throwing 18 touchdowns would have been a great year, but uh, look at looking back at your career. I mean, for season totals, you never threw over 4,000 yards in a season. And now we had, I think, 12 guys throw for four, over 4,000 yards this past year. Jameis Winston threw for over 5,000. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's wild to see kind of how far the league has come from you guys implementing the West Coast offense in 75 and then kind of moving forward, Jim Kelly and the Kagon offense in the 90s. And now we just see I mean, guys like Patrick Mahomes that'll just throw 400 yards in a game, no problem. And it, it's it's pretty wild to see. I mean, it's got to be cool. I mean, you worked as a quarterbacks coach for Jacksonville, for Pittsburgh. I mean, what are you seeing in the NFL now from from the quarterbacks now that are just – does it surprise you just seeing the amount of talent that's in the league right now? Well, you know, we had a lot of talent when I was there. You know, guys like, you know, Bradshaw and, and Stabler and, and Plunkett, you know, it, it, and Fran Tarkenton was playing. Sonny Jurgensen was still playing. You know, I was, uh, you know, Namath was, was still playing. So we, we had our, our good quarterbacks. But I, th I think that the difference was the rules. Uh, when I came into the league, offensive linemen could not extend their hands to pass block. Their hands had to be within the framework of their body which is very hard to pass protect, you know, a, a wide rushing defensive end. Um, also, there wasn't the five-yard chuck rule that uh, you could mug a receiver all over the field. <laughs> and heaven forbid, if you wanted to run a crossing route, uh, you know, it was legal to clothesline guys as long as you didn't hit them late. So the game didn't lend itself to throw the ball, you know, 40 times a game. And once those rules changed, it kind of opened up and which I think has been best for the NFL. It's become a scoring game, which I think is widely, uh, you know, popular with the fans. I mean, that's why TV ratings are high. That's why attendance is, is up that, uh, you know, people want to see points scored. And, and certainly today there's a lot of points scored. Yeah. Uh, we, we talked about that with Joe Horrigan about the uh, rule changes in 78, whenever the, uh, 
before offensive linemen, you know, they had a block kind of like with their hands locked and yeah. just kind of shoving. And uh, so I think the rule changes is 78. I mean, you mentioned, you know, 18 touchdown passes would lead the league. And many regard the 70s as one of maybe the worst errors in terms of passing the law because of uh, the, those rules that were in place until 1978 uh, when it opened up the game more. So that's, that's very interesting insight. Um, so I wanted to ask you about uh, your time in Pittsburgh because as a Steeler fan, you've helped bring my favorite team to Super Bowl in 2008. So I'll always be grateful for you for that. Um, so do you see any of yourself and maybe some current quarterbacks or quarterbacks that you've coached, um, specifically maybe a Ben Roethlisberger? Do you see some traits that you had inside of him? No, I mean, Ben was just a, a tremendous talent. And you know, uh, I went up there and I, and I was very lucky to come into a situation where you had a, a, a Pro Bowl quarterback, uh, I think a potential Hall of Fame quarterback, you know, to work with. Went in with Mike Tomlin. I was on his first staff. One of, and I still think Mike is one of the, the great coaches in the National Football League. Our offensive coordinator was Bruce Arians. Uh, we had a, a very talented football team. And you know, I think, you know, the, the year before that I got there, you know, Ben had just had a few too many turnovers. And that's kind of what we worked on is just kind of cutting those things down. But, you know, Ben is just, he's a, a big, strong guy, but, you know, he's accurate in the pocket. And, you know, and he makes plays outside the pocket. He sees the field on the move uh, as well as anybody I, I've ever seen. When he goes all of a sudden, and he'll see across the field a receiver going deep and, and, and throw the long touchdown pass. So, you know, it was just a privilege for me to be able to coach a talent like that. Oh, do we still have Kurt? Oh, my Kurt, can you hear me, bud? <laughs> oh, hello, anybody? You guys hear me? <laughs> we can hear you now. We can All hear right. you now. <laughs> okay, we are, we are back with that. Uh, sorry about <laughs> technical difficulties there. But, um, yeah, I mean, 2008 Pittsburgh Steelers, that was – Jared, I know, I know you love to talk about your Steelers. I know you love to. Love I will find any excuse I can to talk about, especially that team in specific, because while you know they had the best defense in the NFL that year, um, Ben made a lot of plays that year. Uh, the game against Baltimore in Baltimore when he was running around um, and hits Antonio Holmes on the goal line to win. The game was nine six. They win it thirteen nine uh, with less than a minute left on that play. Obviously, the touchdown pass in the Super Bowl was incredible. But as Ken said, yeah, Ben was coming off. Um, two seasons prior, he had turned the ball over. Uh, he had 22 interceptions two years before that. And then in 07, that was when Tomlin took over. And then Ben goes for 32 touchdowns and 11 picks as a pro bowler and plays phenomenally. And then the year after, he's back in the Super Bowl winning uh, his second ring in three years. So obviously, that was a great span for uh, a young me. Well, um, well, you know, and you think about that Super Bowl game that you know, we've got the lead, and I'm up in the press box, and I'm finally going to get a Super Bowl ring, and all of a sudden Larry Fitzgerald goes down the middle, and we're behind, and now we're in a two-minute drill, and, and the first play, it's a sack, and I go, oh, my God. And, then, and if I'm not and, mistaken, Willie Colon had a holding call um, on that same drive as well when they had to move back after a completion. Right, and then, you know, Ben does what Ben does, and, uh, you know, went down and, you know, like I say, he, he made so many plays that year for us to be successful, and in fact, uh, you know, the play that Santonio caught for the touchdown, uh, the previous play, we ran the same play to the left side. I think that was an easier catch for Santonio than the <laughs> one he made to win the game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's – Jared loves to rub it in my face because while he was celebrating, while both of you were celebrating in 2008, I was uh, probably just crying myself to sleep with how bad the Buffalo Bills were for about 17 years. So, 
Enjoy your time. The Buffalo Bills time is now. But, uh, <laughs> Ken, I want to bring it back to uh, 1981. We were talking about it earlier with the Freezer Bowl game, but that was your NFL MVP season. I mean, you led the Bengals uh, to 12-4 and four season, took them to the Super Bowl, and that was Super Bowl 16. That was kind of a, a heavyweight matchup. You versus uh, San Francisco 49ers against your old coach, uh, Bill Walsh, who kind of brought you in and was, was kind of your first mentor maybe in the league. Kind of run me through Super Bowl 16. Uh, obviously did not turn out how you wanted it to go. 26-21 uh, San Francisco for anybody that doesn't know. But, I mean, going up against Joe Montana, just a – I believe San Francisco finished, uh, let's see, 13-3 and three that year. So you guys were 12-4. and four. I mean, leading up to that game, playing in that game, just kind of your mindset through that, that, through that whole thing. Well, you know, I'm going to take you back to the year before that both the 49ers and us were 6-10. and 10. So nobody <laughs> picked us uh, to go to the Super Bowl. And, and I think we were both 12-4 and four that year going into it. Uh, and it was, it was interesting because, you know, when, when Bill left, uh, Cincinnati after the, the 75 season, he took our cutups with him and he trained Dan Fouts in, in, in uh, San Diego that first year. Then he took him to Stanford. And, you know, actually it was those cutups that Joe Montana learned the West Coast offense from. So, I mean, there was a lot of similarities, you know, in the game. And, uh, you know, it, it was the first Super Bowl that was in a Northern climate. You know, we're in Pontiac, Michigan. And, I always kind of kidded before that year. I said, well, if I ever go to a Super Bowl, this is going to be the year. It's not going to be in California, Arizona, New Orleans, Florida. I get to go to Pontiac, Michigan. Um, you know, you try to convince yourself that it's, you know, just another game, you know. And so we go there and I'm warming up and come back on. You're kind of working that mentality. And all of a sudden, Diana Ross is singing the national anthem. I said, she never showed up in Cincinnati. This must be something special here. <laughs> Uh, you know, and then, you know, the end result is we had five turnovers. And, you know, you're not going to win any game if you turn the football over five times, especially a, a big one. And, you know, uh, as I remember, that was the first Super Bowl where uh, the losing team had more touchdowns, had more total yards, more yards passing uh, than, than the team that won. And, but unfortunately, the statistic that counted was five turnovers. Yeah, and then I think that in terms of, you, I mean, we talked about this, Kurt, if I'm not wrong, with, uh, with, the, with the panel that we had a few weeks ago when we talked about guys who maybe don't get the love and appreciation they deserve. And, Ken, your name came up, I believe, uh, with Joe, uh, who had said that you were one of the more underappreciated quarterbacks, not of, just of your generation, but maybe of all time, uh, with you know, your laundry list of accomplishments. Um, you've been a Hall of Fame finalist twice. Um, so why do you think that maybe you don't get as much recognition as other guys do that maybe you deserve more recognition than? Well, you know, uh, because we didn't win uh, uh, the Super Bowl. I, I think more than any other position, the quarterback position is judged by did you win a Super Bowl or not? Uh, if you're looking at a tackle or a wide receiver or a linebacker or a, a defensive lineman, you know, they, well, how many Super Bowls did you win? I don't think that's a criteria, but I think it is a, a major factor for quarterbacks. And right, wrong, or indifferent, uh, that's the way it is. But, you know, I look back and, and, and go into a, a small high school in Batavia, Illinois, and a Division three school, uh, Augustana College in Rock Island, Illinois, and getting a chance to go to Cincinnati and play 16 years. And, uh, you know, 
and we were relevant in, in the 70s and 80s. You, you know, we were as good as anybody in the league. And unfortunately, the, the Steelers of the 70s may have been the, the best team of all time who happened to be in our division. Uh, but I think if, if you look back in that era, as the, when I was a starting quarterback, we had by far the best record against the Steelers of any team in the National Football League. Uh, I remember one year we were 0-7 and they were 7-0, came to Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati. And, and uh, you know, we were awful. They went on to win another Super Bowl and, and, and we beat them something like 34-7. to They didn't cross midfield of the fourth quarter. And I remember after the game, Chuck Knoll told the team, if I didn't know you guys better, I thought you threw the game. But, uh, you know, so it was a, it was a, a good rivalry, uh, a rivalry of respect. Uh, one of my favorite stories is, is 79 was the, the worst Bengals team I was ever on. We were awful. <laughs> and we're getting – we're playing Pittsburgh late in the year, and, and uh, we're getting beat handily. And in the fourth quarter, Joe Green sacks me again, and he's laying on top of me. And he, he says, Kenny, why don't you stop in the locker room for a beer after the game? <laughs> and so in those days, the locker, locker rooms at, at uh, Three Rivers were right next to each other. So I – I showered quickly and I went in and the first guy I saw was Bradshaw and he stops doing his interviews and he takes me to the back of the locker room and they turned off their sauna and had a garbage can full of beer. And of course it's packed and Bradshaw clears off a couple of seats for him and I in the front row and I'm having two or three beers and feeling better about life. And until I went out to, to catch the buses to go to the hotel and they, or to go to the airport and they, and they had left. Uh -oh. And I'm thinking, how am I going <laughs> to explain that I got fined and had to buy a plane ticket from Pittsburgh to, uh, to Cincinnati because I'm in the Steelers locker room drinking beer. Um, luckily, uh, as I'm looking for a cab, there goes the equipment truck, and I quickly flagged the equipment truck down and rode that to the airport uh, and made our flight. Wow. That's awesome. That is awesome. I mean, because – You couldn't get away with that nowadays. Right. It's – I mean, it, it's kind of – it's funny to hear because you think Steelers-Bengals, the big rivalry, you know mm. – um, and I mean, I'm sure you were probably, like you said, you're good friends with those guys. And I, I think that's kind of the case with, with a lot of the guys nowadays in the league. Everybody knows each other. Everybody's working out with each other in the offseason. And it's cool to see because, I mean, as, as much as we love the, the competition of sports and, you know, the big rivalries and you think of the hatred of the franchises, but these guys are good friends. They're out there playing football. So that's, that's an awesome story. Well, you know, we had a heated rivalry you know, with Pittsburgh, but I think it was a rivalry of respect. And I think I may disagree with you a little bit about today's players a little bit. Uh, I remember uh, a couple of years ago, I saw Peyton Manning at the Super Bowl when it was up in, in Minneapolis. And, and we were talking. He said, hey, did you see my dad? And I said, yeah. I said hi to him when I was walking up. And uh, he said, you know, and, and I've known, you know, Archie and I came into the league in, in 1971 together, and I've known Peyton since he was a toddler. And he said, I, I wish, you know, it was like when you and my dad played, that you guys got together in the offseason, there were golf tournaments, and you saw each other, and you, we were around the kids. He knows my son. And he said, you know, it, it's not like that today. We, you know, we're kind of so busy all the time that we don't get to know the guys on the next level like you and dad did. So uh, it was a, a fun era of, of football for the National Football League. Yeah, I bet. So talking about camaraderie, was there any team or maybe certain players, if you want to get into that, that maybe you guys did have a bitter rivalry, a bitter rivalry with uh, throughout your tenure in Cincinnati? Well, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's always specific plays. I don't think it was so much a team. I mean, it was uh, 1983. We're playing the Steelers, and Keith Gary grabbed my face mask and turned my head around. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, the picture in the paper the next day, the the number on the back of my helmet was facing the same way as the number on the front of my jersey, and <laughs> and I'm playing there, and I, I had no feeling from the neck down. And in oh, today's geez. world, you know, 
you know, they come out and they strap you to the board, and they tape your helmet down and they take you to the hospital. Mm. And I'm laying there and the team doctor comes out and, and the first thing he does is take off my helmet to see if I've got a broken neck. And, you know, and, and you know, after a few minutes, you can feel the tingling coming back in your body. And he says, can you move your toes? And, and I remember thinking I didn't want to try because I was afraid I, I wouldn't be able to. Well, well, I could. And so he put a neck brace on me and I got up and I walked off the field to go to the ambulance, to go to the hospital to see if I had a broken neck. Um, so, you know, you kind of remember, you know, things like, like that. And I, I missed a month of the season, you know, from that. And there was a, another time where we're playing a Pittsburgh in Cincinnati. And, and I run out of bounds. And I'm about five yards out of bounds. And, and Glenn uh, Edwards, their safety, comes over and clotheslines me right between the eyes. And I'm laying there hearing whistles and seeing stars. And they threw him out of the game. And, and afterwards, I remember his combo was like, well, I don't, I don't know what the big deal was. I didn't do anything to Kenny I wouldn't do to my own mother. Oh. <laughs> Chuck Knowles commented, and said, I, I, well, you know, I don't see what the problem was. You know, Kenny was 6'2", 215, and Glenn's only, you know, six foot, 190 pounds. The quarterback was bigger than <laughs> what, what was the, what was so bad about that? Wow. So, I mean, there's, there's certain plays I remember, but not a hated rivalry. Yeah, yeah. Imagine if that happened in today's game, Kurt. Oh, my goodness. Roger yeah, Goodell yeah. would have them arrested. That would be bad. But, um, Ken, we have one more thing before we let you go. I know you said you got your grandkids coming, so we, we won't hold you for too long. But uh, Cincinnati Bengals are seem to be moving into a new era here uh, with number one overall pick Joe Burrow coming in. Uh, I think he hopes to maybe dethrone you as uh, the best quarterback in Cincinnati history. But uh, kind of what, what have you seen? I don't know if you've watched too much maybe of LSU, but just of, you know, the state of the Bengals, the state of – Joe Burrow coming in there and kind of what, what the future looks like for uh, Cincinnati. Well, you know, first of all, you know, let me go back and give a little plug to Andy Dalton. You know, they, they drafted him about nine years ago and here was a kid that came in as a second round draft choice from TCU and took the Bengals to the playoffs his first five years. And when Andy had players around him, he was a pretty doggone good quarterback. And I think the last several years, uh, you know, especially the offensive line, it kind of deteriorated around him and, you know, as I know, the quarterback takes a lot of heat. But uh, I'm really excited for the, the Joe Burrow era. You know, watching him, you know, and, and I haven't studied him, but watching, you know, a, a lot of games on TV, you know, they played the toughest schedule in the country. They were the best teams, and, and you never saw them have a bad game. Uh, you know, then, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard to evaluate college quarterbacks because it seems like everybody is wide open in the college game. Well, you know, all of a sudden you see him throwing high back shoulder throws to his wide receivers and, and down and low if there's somebody uh, that, that's, that's going into trouble. Uh, you saw him make NFL-type throws. Um, he's got good size. He's won at every level that he's been at. But I, I think, you know, the, the kid's got a good head on his shoulders. And, you know, that Heisman Trophy speech that he made on uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, his hometowns of Athens and Athens County and what, what – what that meant to the food banks there where they raised over a half a million dollars. And most of it came maybe from, from Louisiana, yeah. <laughs> but you know, he, he knows he has a platform. I think he'll use it in the right way. But what's encouraging is, you know, the Bengals spent $150 million in the off season on free agents. And they kind of stepped outside the box there that they get Jonah Williams back. Their number one draft choice, a, a tackle from the year before that, that never made it to training camp. AJ green hasn't played in a year and a half and he comes back. You know, they've got a good running game with Joe Mixon. And, you know, like anything else, I think it's the offensive line is going to have to gel. And if they do that, and the defense will be better. 
uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I think they're going to have a good year. Yeah. Ken Anderson, legendary quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals and a legendary mustache as well. I haven't got to mention that yet. <laughs> My porno stash. <laughs> yeah. Love it. The, the greatest. Uh, Ken, we appreciate you. Go enjoy time with your grandkids, and uh, you're more than welcome to come on talk football with us whenever you would like. We appreciate it. Well, uh, you've got my number. Call me anytime you need me. Awesome. All right, sounds good. All right, thanks, guys. Out there, thanks, All Ken. Right. Bye, bye. <laughs> Ken Anderson, what a guy! I hear my granddaughters. Hey, me and Hello. Gia, they're here. Oh, hey, guys. Hello. Love it. Love to meet you. Hey, thanks for everything, guys. Thanks, All right, Ken. Ken take Ken. care. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. You were on TV. Yeah. You were on Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.